The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that come from loss. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please go to my host page at Voice America. You'll find all your favorite ways to connect there, email, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Today, I'm welcoming Robert Pruitt. Robert provides leadership training, motivational speaking, workshops, seminars, and spiritual life coaching around the world. His programs for growth support youth and adults to share the gift they are with the world and have been well-received in such places as China, Egypt, Peru, Ireland, England, and Cambodia, very different places. Robert is the director of the Coaching and Certification Program at Inner Visions, an organization created by Dr. Ayanla Venzant, host of Ayanla Fix My Life. His work has been acknowledged with a Congressional STEM Champion Award in 2011 and the Influencer Award from the Gridiron Foundation in 2013. Robert has appeared on Ayanla Fix My My Life, Egyptian TV, Cairo, CNN, Oprah, and Peace from the Broken Pieces, also with Ayanla Venzant. He's hosted two radio shows, The Gift and Mining the Heart, and authored several books, including Out of the Box, Sharing the Gift You Are with the World, and It Is Well with My Soul, Watching Daddy Live, which is about his own transformation through the illness and death of his father. Robert and his wife enjoy a combined family of four children and three grandchildren, and you can find out more at www.robertpruitt.com. Robert, welcome to Good Grief. Thank you. That was an incredible opening. I'm most appreciative. Oh, absolutely. I want people to know uh, a lot about what you do. That's, that's part of why I love doing the show, to get all the amazing work people are doing out there to the listeners. So I'm, I'm glad I can send all that out into the world. <laughs> well, we, we certainly are honored, so thank you. Oh, fantastic. Me too. Um, you know, when I first saw your work, uh, I didn't immediately notice the book, and, but I just had a feeling you had a story to tell that would fit with my show, uh, which it clearly does. Um, but I know that what you do every day is the empowerment, the leadership training, the coaching training. Do you see those as directly connected with uh, what you learned with your father? Uh, yes, and I would say in the, the clearest connection, and, and I wrote about this, was when I shared with my father uh, the the tragedy of having been sexually molested by a family friend, 
And because of your work, you understand what arrested development is. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so even though I was 29, I was operating as a Mm 14-year-old. So my 14-year-old wanted my father to get up out of the hospital bed and go beat up the bad man. Uh, Fix it all. Exactly, right? You know, forget the 29-year-old. He's absolutely gone. And so my father looked at me said, I will handle that gentleman, but what I need you to do is to let go of your anger and be God's man. So it's not, I don't need somebody to believe in a higher power in order to understand that. What I want them to get is that what he was saying was that my gifts are being hindered and blocked by the anger or the hurt. (laughs) And so when I deal with transformational work, whether it is in the context of leadership development or whether it is in the context of personal development, there is something that people get to tap into. And I don't know a leader, an effective leader, that has not tapped into some experience. And it doesn't need to look like divorce or death of a person or death of innocence. It can just simply be their worldview and a connection they have with suffering. For example, with the, the 293, 96 young ladies that have been kidnapped and perhaps sold into slavery in Nigeria. You know, I've never been kidnapped, but there's a space that I can pull from that allows me to some degree to empathize uh, with that experience. And so leaders have an opportunity to not only transform the lives around them, but they can't do that without starting with their own. And in many cases, we're up against a sense of loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in that case, the loss of potential lives, the loss of the gifts that are embedded in those young ladies' lives, uh, the yes. loss of lives and the two young ladies that died in the balloon ride, and they were part of the activity uh, program at their university in Richmond, uh, the, yes. li- the loss of lives when a tornado hits. So it is in the context of leadership, the ability to take a look at my life's experience and know that there's a message, a life mission embedded in it, and then to use that as the foundation for offering what is possible, right? That the change could look like we go someplace over the rainbow and we do it together despite having individual goals like a brain or the need for a heart and connectedness or the need to stand in one's courage. And so I can connect that to my father simply saying, let go of what holds you back. Step into who you were created to be. The other thing I hear there is kind of um, if you had not, faced that and told it and and expressed it, it might have continued to hold you back for a whole lot longer, that you really have to go through it. Absolutely. And and that leads you to more of a universal empathy once you've you've come through that. Yes. Would that be fair to say? It would be spot on to say. And again, how does a leader show up in her world offering a vision of what life could look like without going through it. And, you know, I'm referencing The Wizard of Oz, which is what one of my other books has as its foundation, but that was one of the pivotal ways that I could understand my own transformation, to see that I get to talk about what's over the rainbow, but to talk about it in and of itself is insufficient to facilitate change. And so when you and I are talking about grief, you just said it. We get to go through it. 
Yeah, there there would be no Wizard of Oz uh, without the the tornado in Kansas. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I would even go a step further and say that the tornado only—and this is my interpretation—but the tornado only shows up when Dorothy speaks her vision. And I define a vision as an image and a unique ideal of the future. It doesn't tell what we're doing; it tells mm-hmm. us what it looks like. So. You know, there's the moment where she's singing somewhere over the rainbow and the skies are blue and their troubles melt like lemon drops. She gives us imagery, and then it is at that point that she's caught up in the winds of change, based mm. on Robert that's, L. Pruitt's interpretation. That, that Well, it fits with mine, so that's very nice. <laughs> um, I want to hear, I want to have my listeners hear the voice in your book a little bit at mm. this point. Could you read... Uh, the part about not having a medical background, which yes. to me sort of captures, um, I know it was near the beginning of the book, but it, it kind of, to me, also says where you were going. Yeah, and I picked that because of our initial conversation when you referenced this being an exam of some sort you know, that you were thrown into. So mm-hmm. it, it, it simply says, I do not have a medical background, nor do I possess a degree in psychology. I am a human spirit that has successfully completed life's graduate class in terminal illness. I use the class metaphor because I felt I was thrown suddenly and without warning into a pass or fail situation. I did not ask for the class, nor did I want to stay in the class. I was forced to deal with the fact that the class in this case, experiencing my dad's illness and death was going to occur with or without my permission and despite my desire not to attend. Mm-hmm. I quickly recognized that if I attended the class faithfully, I would need to surrender to my uncomfortable experience and study my lessons daily. I knew I was doing well in my class when I began to experience peace with greater frequency. Uh. Yes, that, that does capture something for me very much. That uh, mm-hmm. that that metaphor resonates for me quite a bit, and and it kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. I'm very interested in your work with youth. So <laughs> they're in a constant classroom, yeah. in my view. And I I live in Oakland, California. Um, while Oakland is much more than what everybody out there thinks it is. A very beautiful place, very diverse place, alive, just a lot of great stuff here. And it's also true that the youth here are experiencing daily and multiple losses. And uh, I wondered if you could talk about how you connect with youth to empower them. It's something I think about so much. How do you take those experiences that younger and younger people are having every day and, and help them find themselves in it? Someone asked me a long time ago when I decided to step out on faith and start RobertPruitt.com as a formal business because I've been doing it uh, since 1985, writing and developing these programs and delivering them around the world. But to actually say it's going to be my sole source was a daunting proposition. And one of the <laughs> questions, as you well know, one of the yeah. questions was, what is going to set you apart? And this person was asking me from a business standpoint, and I remember including in my response so succinctly that essentially I share my life's experience 
in a way that requires nothing from the audience, meaning I'm not interested in teaching. I just want to share so that you know that I'm someone who has gone through. And through the sharing, it offers an opportunity for the listeners to connect their personal experience to what I'm sharing. So now that we've got a shared reference point, and then from there, offer, if you will, what worked for me, such that it allows or at least supports the student or the youth or the child or the adult or the educator or the police officer, the opportunity to walk away being able to say, I now know. <laughs> you know, you can't walk away and say, well, he shared a story and we could connect, but uh-huh. I didn't know what to do. No, no. I gave you some things that worked for me that you may want to attempt and perhaps modify, but you cannot walk away from an RPC, a RobertPruitt.com experience, and say, I did not know. You just can't, unless <laughs> you were not present in the experience. And well, so I and, like that. And you I also- like that. You leave them with it. <laughs> I leave, yeah. They well, own well, it. <laughs> well, yeah, but see, here's the beauty. I can take my experience away, and they're left with their experience of the experience. Yes. Well, that I really, is- I really felt, I watched the video of you doing the commencement speech, oh. and I, what I looked at was the way that the, the youth were responding, and they were right with you. That's so unusual. They're usually ready to ditch the parents and go party. But <laughs> they were paying attention, so that was a good sign. Yes. Yeah. And I'm also uh, uh, You know, maybe you could read, because I think this is so connected, the heart work questions that support yeah. a new normal part of your book, because... They were very evocative questions, but you couldn't really come up with those questions unless you'd asked yourself those questions, I feel. Uh, and that would be, again, spot on. The, the, I didn't pull these from any place other than my personal experience. Uh, one of the questions is, in what ways has my life expanded as a result of my experience? There's a tool that we use in the InterVisions uh, coaching program. It's called reframing. And it just simply allows us to take a situation and see it in a different way. So Mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, this day is messed up, I could ask myself, well, then what do I appreciate about this day? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I see it in a way that affirms life, that supports ownership of the experience rather than blaming, like Dorothy did in the beginning of The Wizard of Oz, everyone (laughs) and everything for her situation? And so that question says, you know, I'm going through whatever this incredible experience is with my loved one, but how has my life expanded? And that was one of the questions that I, you know, remember asking myself sitting in the hospital room. What have I learned or discovered about myself? Mm -hmm. You know, from what I've gathered from a number of individuals that read this, because I had, I think, 23 people review the book. Some were Mm. clinicians, some were nurses, some were doctors, some were high schoolers, uh, some had, you know, no medical background whatsoever, but had Mm -hmm. the personal direct experience of watching or caring for a loved one, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife. And then I had those that had the indirect connection, but the direct experience or a best friend that went through it with a best friend. Um, And that feedback all supported or was supportive of this information. And every single one of them said the hard work, you know, was something that they could apply because there were questions that they never asked themselves 
um, for those that had completed the experience, and I, I use that completion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> with, but their loved one had transitioned yes. 10 years You know, years we, ha- ago. we have about a minute before our break, and I wonder if you could share a couple of a couple more of the questions, and then we'll go to the break and come back and talk more. Wonderful. Uh, What fears are present in this moment? If I had no fear in this moment, I would say or do what? Mm. (laughs) And I'll give you two more. If I only had 60 seconds to share my story right now, I would say what? And what Bible verse or spiritual writings support my message? And those are just right. some of the ones. That I especially walk like the one about how you would tell your story. That really uh, is a good way to get at it for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. So during the break, listeners out there, please be sure to go to Good Grief Post page to find any way to connect with me you'd like. And to find out more about Robert Pruitt, you can go to www.robertpruitt.com. We'll be back in a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. How do you find out more about wellness? When we let our busy schedule keep us on the run without stopping, something's going to give. How is the balance in your life? Are you overhyped or feeling run down constantly? Is stress doing its part to control your life? Listen for Be Well Bites with host Jamie Relay. Our show is all about connecting you with the experts that can help you with living a nourishing and fulfilling life in small, bite-sized tips and ideas. Nourish yourself and tune in to Be Well Bites on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you ready to laugh and learn as you get the info that will get you fit? Small steps can lead to big changes once you're headed in the right direction. Join the dynamic twin sister and exercise expert team of Alexandra Williams and Kimberly Williams-Evans on Active Aging for Boom Chicka Boomers. KNA bring you top-level guests who offer active aging advice and practical tips you can use today. Enjoy the second phase of life with vitality, brain power, and energy. Active Aging for Boom Chicka Boomers airs live Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter. And migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today, I'm talking with Robert Pruitt, coach and author of several books, including It Is Well With My Soul, Watching Daddy Live, and Out of the Box, Sharing the Gift You Are with the World. Robert, let's talk about your dad and kind of a little more deeply how his death taught you. It's it's just woven throughout your beautiful book. Um, But I wonder if you'd start this section reading about receiving the call that he had died. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that it simply reads, I wondered from the first day I walked into the hospital how long dad would live. I now know the answer to that question. There were 92 days of change, 92 days to hold hands, 92 days to say I love you, 92 days to ask difficult questions, 92 days to prepare for a new way of life, 92 days to love and be loved. It was 4.20 a.m., and I had awakened for the second time in 20 minutes. This time, my slumber was interrupted by the monotone sound of my pager gently encouraging me to respond. My heart quickened as I reached for the device, which was conveniently placed next to the phone. The number that flashed across the screen was unfamiliar, yet the message was delivered long before I nervously dialed the number. While waiting for someone to answer, my mind forced me to decide on one of two possible scenarios. First, Pops, one of the many titles given to my father, was passing away and perhaps I had enough time to make the 25-minute trip to the hospital, or secondly, he had already passed. Quietly returning the handset to the base in an effort not to awaken the rest of the household, I watched as my calmness began to rapidly dissipate. My mind was suddenly and violently flooded with thoughts of Dad's passing. You know, that one thing that captures so well for me is that even if you're a person who who uh, accepts death, is willing to face death, the body still reacts. <laughs> there's no way around that. No matter how many years you and I do this work, there's no way around it. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I really heard that in that passage. I wonder what, whether you have thoughts on what helped you to commit, you know, because that, that passage is written by someone who had agreed to show up for the experience. And you didn't have long to get on board with that. That's only about three months between when you found out he was sick. And I got the sense you got on board with showing up almost immediately. What do you think allowed that in you? Because, of course, a lot of people take a great deal of time to get there. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, Cheryl, is that when my father called, I had a job where my position was funded by a grant. The grant ran out about two weeks before the call. Ooh. Also, in the midst of that time, I was dealing with a divorce. So I was also on unemployment. So not only did the grant run out, oh. I just began collecting unemployment, and I was dealing, grieving, creating my new normal around 
this divorce, meaning who am I, what do I have to offer as a function of this new choice? And, <laughs> and one of the things that I was clear about prior to the call was that I was Mr. Fine all the time. How are you doing? Fine. Hey, mm-hmm. I heard you didn't have any money. How you feeling? Fine. Hey, I heard mm-hmm. you didn't have any food. Fine. You know, it just, everything was fine because nobody had to get close to me and I could give the perception and the appearance that I was in control. Welcome to the illusion of control. And it mm-hmm. only deepened the pain. So at this point, when my father called, he said, now, I will never forget this. Baby is daddy. Just want to call you and let you know I'm at so-and-so hospital, and I either have tuberculosis or cancer. <laughs> and I went silent because I was clear which one it was, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. you can call it Piscean intuition or just part of my divine gift, but my intuition is off the chain. I mean, mm-hmm. there are things I can know walking into a room that freak people out. Doesn't freak me out, but freaks them out. Yeah. Well, real clear. <laughs> That's what very familiar was. to me as well, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, we both went silent. Mm-hmm. My immediate response was, do you need me to come right now? He said, no, we've got some tests to take. I said, well, they're very good. I will see you tomorrow because I needed time to get prepped. And yeah. the prep was just to be with it. I, I couldn't tell you what I was going to do. All I knew was I needed to be with it emotionally because prior to that, you know, I had not addressed the emotion. I couldn't have told you anything more than fine, okay, pissed off, happy. You know, now I can tell you I feel bewildered, annoyed, perplexed, happy, you know, genuine. I can go through a litany of emotion and feelings vocabularies because all of that was the path I was on at the time I got the call. And the only thing I could think to do was grab pen and paper when I went to the hospital the next day to visit him. And that's when I began writing. And then somewhere after that, my father charged me with the mission to write this book because in all of his years of sitting at people's bedsides and preaching at funerals, he had said he had never seen anybody handle the experience And maybe what he meant was what you just said, which was that I showed up, you know, prepared for this pass or fail experience, clear that I was going to pass it um, and pass it by choice. Well, you know, I I try to project myself into that because my wife's illness and death was 10 years long. Mm. So uh, and and I don't. I don't agree with people who say that you can't prepare and it doesn't matter if it's sudden or, you know, the grief's not different. I totally disagree. Uh-huh. So that 10 years, I was working hard the whole 10 years. Uh-huh. And so I, then I hear 92 days and I just am kind of awe-inspired. That's just um, to get where you got in that amount of time. It's it's kind of like the, the Phoenix thing. Everyone burned down and, you know, everything burned down and you oh, came yeah. out of that. For sure. Um, But I noticed at the same time, and this seemed so human to me, there were so many times in the book where you were writing about questioning whether you were showing up enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? I just wonder, like, could a person be sitting next to their loved one 24 hours a day doing their best to be emotionally present and still ask that question? (laughs) Do you think? Well, you know, the irony of it is that there was a strained relationship. 
So there was a part of me that was unfamiliar with being in the presence and the company of my father. Mm-hmm. We did not have that kind of communicative relationship. So we kissed on the forehead and we laughed and we joked. But I couldn't tell you, other than let go of your anger and be God's man, I can't remember one deep conversation prior to the hospital experience. So all of this was new. I mean, it was just so new. And I think there were times where I wanted to, you know, swim away. As I say, you know, I had fish as a Piscean. I wanted to get away from it's uncomfortable, it's too much. And then there was also the... Just the experience, the magnitude of sitting with or facing death, which only brought up the notion that, wow, I've been running from it. This has nothing to do with my father. (laughs) This has everything to do with me living the illusion that somehow life is just going to carry on and keep going. (laughs) Because as long as I can say everything's fine, then life is going to go. You know, it just, it had everything to do with my own mortality. And then there were just some days I did not, uh, you know, again, going through the divorce, (laughs) dealing with emotions head on for the first time, dealing with unemployment. Let's not even talk about the fact that I didn't have the money to get my car fixed. So there were times where I was getting rides with friends. You actually couldn't literally get there, huh? I could not literally get from, you know, let's put it this way, from Oakland to Stanford. Yeah. Since you understand that reference, right? Oh, I really do. (laughs) Yeah. So imagine the bus and the train on top of that or getting a friend that will take me down so then I can do my best to get back. I mean, it was just an impactful experience. I remember I went to see a movie that was violent, violent for me emotionally at that point. You know, set it off was the name of the movie, and you know it was about these young ladies that ended up being bank robbers. You know, not a lot of gore, but just a heavy, weighty film. Yeah. And I remember attempting to normalize my life by saying, "Well, let's go to the movies." <clears throat> On one of the days, <laughs> I did not want to visit, and of course, I picked one of the heaviest films. Isn't I mean, I'd have way? been better off going to see Schindler's List. I mean, it just—it <laughs> was just so weighty emotionally, no, and I left it. in in the middle of the movie. But that was all part of that process. Am I there enough? Because how could I be at the movie or going to the club or going out on this date while my father's going through this transition? You know, am I neglecting him? Or is this just all part of the choice that I'm making and I'm just judging myself harshly? Yes. And if you did, you know, not do any of those things and sat with him and said, would you really be present? Yeah. Or, or did you need some sense of contrast to even uh, absorb what was happening? Yeah. Well, I could say in hindsight, I needed the contrast. In those moments, the only thing I can speak to was I needed what felt right. And what yes. felt right on some occasions was, Dad, how are you? I'm good, baby. Do you need me today? No. Okay, I'll see you in a day see or tomorrow. two. Yeah. Yeah, in a day or two. For sure. (laughs) And then to sit with, hold up, I'm not, what if he dies in a day or two? So what I also found was I was attempting to do my best to avoid guilt or shame. You know, Mm -hmm. guilt, I've done something wrong, shame, I'm a bad person. So Mm -hmm. even then, it wasn't even rooted in love, not even rooted in (laughs) self-love. It was rooted in ego because I wanted it to look good to the external world that, look, little Robbie is right there by his father. Going through the muck what and the mire. What a good boy. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's pat him on the head while he goes through this change in this that class. That childhood place, huh? There you go. That childhood Ooh. place. Yeah, I think this is a perfect moment for that part of your book, uh, Watching Daddy Die, because uh, it's such a contrast to what we're saying in a way, but uh, contains it too. It is, uh, yeah, welcome to the stark contrast of all of these. So, uh, <laughs> let, let's just simply say that it says, Watching Daddy Die seems like such an inappropriate title or phrase to use. I'm spending my time watching Daddy live. Yes, his life has been altered significantly, but he seems to be living more than dying. And the the backstory is when my father said he wanted charged me with writing this book, he said, and I'm going to give you the title, and it was Watching Daddy Live, which, okay, needless to say, I ended up holding my breath on that one. Cause, you know, <laughs> You know, here he is in the hospital, and it was just so matter-of-fact and blunt. He was at such peace with it mm. that the hearing of it was troubling. Did you, just, did you just say what I've been, you know, I think at some level avoiding the, the die word? Did you just speak it as the title of a book? Mm. So, you know, being obedient, it's what I wrote down, watching Daddy you know, die, and then he said something like a, a soliloquy of something, something. He didn't have the rest. He was like, but it's a soliloquy of, you know, something. You'll come up with something. And the something was left as a question mark because as I would go through the process, invariably it would show up in my writing. So I never wrote the journals for the purpose of the book because at that point I didn't even say yes. <laughs> to writing a book. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you see that it, I wrote, I, after he died shortly after that, I sat down, I went on a retreat, and for two days, nonstop, in a log cabin, I typed up all the journal. I didn't commit to this until about a week before that two-day experience. Um, and then it took 13 years for me to complete the book. So there was no, oh, I'm going to jump in and we're going to be New York Times bestseller and I'm going to be real famous. And re- and I really uh, appreciate you saying that because uh, we we need to not give the impression to people that things are fast and easy. Oh, my God, no. No. <laughs> they no. are not. And nor yeah. do we want to suggest that anyone listening needs to have a prolonged process. The process no, is... No, it just is what it is. It, exactly. It mm-hmm. really is. And what I can say is, while we don't know how long it will take to step boldly into and secure a new normal, which, by the way, is always changing and shifting, but, you know, until you go, you know what, I feel grounded in, in my life. Until you get there, we can't say... You and I cannot say it's going to take you a year, a month, 10 years, 10 decades. But what I can say is resistance delays the healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you will not be able to say it is well with my soul because that is a choice. And if, and I wrote it in the book, you look at where that song comes from, because in a lot of spiritual communities, they understand and know that song, which was penned by Horatio Spafford. The short right. version is he had lost all of his children within the time span of three years, and two of his children died in a shipwreck, a sunken ship. His wife was the only survivor. And as the ship that took them back to New York crossed over the area where the ship sank, that's where he went back to his room and penned or coined those 
very famous lyrics. So it ended Amazing. up being a journal that his daughter later on in life penned and coined as, you know, as a national song for wow. those that are of the Christian ilk. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, time for our second break now. This is a good wonderful. time for it. <laughs> uh, you can go to my host page at Voice America to get in touch with me. I am a therapist also available throughout California, and I would be happy to speak or consult with your group or organization. And you can email me to find out more about that. And, of course, to find more about Robert Pruitt, please go to www.robertpruitt.com. We'll be back after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you ever taken a minute to think about how your joints work from the outside? Tendons and ligaments are stiff enough to hold our bones together, but flexible enough to allow them to articulate and move. Our joints are not simple hinges, but highly adaptable structures that allow an amazing range of motion. They also allow an amazing adaptability to injury. Find out more by tuning in to Rethinking Orthopedics with Mary J. Rogel, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. It's time to take a new look at the body. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Robert Pruitt, whose experience with the illness and death of his father deepened and informed his work to help people share the gift they are with the world. So at this point, I would like to hear more. We've talked about your work, what you do. We've talked about what led you there. And I really want to know how it's evolved over time and where, where you envision 
you know, what your passionate vision is for the future. Um, where are you right now and where are you going? Well, my wife and I have been given the vision for Journeys Wellness Center. Uh, it has two components, one that would be in the city, meaning somewhere in Maryland where we reside, mm-hmm. and then to have a second component that would be out by the water. So let's just talk about declarations. We started out with Dorothy speaking the words to what she envisioned and imagined the tornado came. We understand her journey, only for her to get to the end and find that all that she needed, she possessed, right? Okay. Yes. And her ability to source, create, attract all of these wonderful experiences that supported her development. And so my wife and I had been talking about, well, we want something that's by the water. We want to make it quaint for caregivers or people that are dealing with the transition of any loss. Loss of a job, loss of identity, you know, empty nesters syndrome. I don't care what it is. <laughs> grief is freaking grief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so we kept speaking it, and the two of us together, man, when we are really just embedded and grounded in vision and truth, it's amazing what shows up. And so mm-hmm. just last summer is a short kind of adjunct piece. We, with the help of our Facebook family, were able to procure property in Annapolis, Maryland, on the water. So it will become that second phase. We don't even have this piece in the city yet, other than our home. So let me cancel that. We use our home. (laughs) You're doing your work somewhere. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. The the work happens wherever we are, but we don't have the building that we envision that would be in the city. Nor do we have the edifice that's out in Annapolis, but we procured the the property from going into foreclosure because we spoke about it so clearly that somebody said, hey, we got property. Y'all can have it. You just got to pay the back taxes. And, of course, we were at a place where we had already paid all our bills, so it was one of those incredible moments when you talk about leadership development. Are you going to stand for it? to happen. And so we didn't have an attachment to whether we got it or not. We were just real clear that not sharing what was possible with our family and friends did not honor us. So we opened it up and said, we need to raise X number of thousands of dollars in the next 14 days. Which couldn't have been a small amount. It never is. It never is. What you're describing, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, no, it never is. (laughs) So needless to say, we got the support, and we told people we don't have 501c3 status because we didn't know where the place was going to be. So we weren't going to set up a nonprofit in Maryland and end up in, you know, Timbuktu or the Dominican Republic. So now that we have the place, the 501c3 will be what we will procure in the next year's time. But the point is, that is what's next. This wonderful place that offers people the opportunity to get clear about who they are, what they have to offer, and those things that hinder them from moving forward, creating their new normal, uh, from releasing the anger and being who they were created to be. All the lessons that we've learned, because, of course, my wife and I, met online four years ago, and only to find out that her father transitioned from cancer as well. So we had mm-hmm. that shared experience yeah. uh, that we are offering in shape and form to the world. 
you know, from my obviously just hearing that from for the first time, there's a beauty to starting with the place that helps people go inside. Uh, to me, I think of of the beauty of nature and the ocean and all that. That that usually puts me in touch with my inside. Mm-hmm. And the things that I do in urban environments have a tendency. I I do compensate for this, but they have a tendency to connect you to what's outside. Exactly. So I, I kind of like the idea that you're starting with the piece of land by the ocean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Although it, it may not have been how you how you envisioned it, but uh, it seems beautiful that way. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's one of the things in the process that became clear. That the vision only tells me what it can look like. It doesn't tell me how it's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> that's the mission. Right, yes. And so if I were planning it, and Denny and I were planning it, we'd say we'll start in the city, mm-hmm. we'll lease a place or source somebody that will give us a house, and we'll refurbish it, then we'll move out. And the how it happened didn't look that way. And because we weren't attached to how it, it happened, we didn't, have, we didn't have to wrestle with anything. Um, we were just real clear we were going to have peace that's by the water, and since we've got our house and we can open up our living room and do vision writing programs and do dance fitness programs that energize the mind-body-spirit connection, then what else do we need, you know, really? what I can't, the new normal does not permit waiting for, you know, for it to show up as a building. What am I waiting for? It's kind of like waiting, and you may have read it in the book, waiting for daddy to die. There were days where I was arguing, arguing with God in a big way. Okay, this makes no sense. He's sick as hell one moment, and then the next day he's happy and energetic. You are messing with my psyche. You either need to kill him or you need to <laughs> Make up your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I could not imagine if I had waited to begin my healing process once he transitioned. That's what I mean by the waiting. And so the same thing with the physical work. There's no waiting. We open our house, and if two people come in, then those are the two we get to serve. You know, one of my favorite sayings is, chance favors the prepared mind. Mm, So, you know, you're prepared, and you're paying attention, and your mind is open, and something comes along, Well, this radio show, for instance, and you can't help but say, wait, this is just what I was thinking about. Exactly. You know, there's no room for that resistance that I used to have a lot of. I don't know about you, but <laughs> you know, fear no, was a big, never. a big part of my universe. <laughs> yeah, not I, Mister Fine. What resistance would I have? <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, That's and you would love you. I'm gonna share this with you because it may be something that you can utilize. Here's how I address the that whole energy piece around emotions, I called seven friends, said, I need you all to pick one day of the week. Call me at 7.30 on that day, every day for four weeks, meaning call me. So I'd say, Cheryl, call me on Mondays at 7.30. You'd say, okay, only thing you're permitted to say is how are you feeling? And you need to have an authentic experience of my recall. I can't give you any setup, no stories, and it can't be limited to fine or good or all right, okay, right? And that's what started that healing process. And then I recognized two weeks in, I started manipulating the situation. I was feeling depressed, (laughs) sad, and sullen, but 10 minutes before the call, I'd get my energy up. So Uh then I said, keep the same day, but call any time during the day. That way, I had no clue when they were going to call. prepare. That's a great exercise, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) I like that. But who are you actually fooling? 
right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, 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 you know, and, and that's what the attempt was. Everything for me at that point was externalized. And yeah. that's what I appreciate about what, fa- what my father said, which was to let go of the anger and do what you were put here to do. So don't worry about how it looks to others. You go inside, release that, and in releasing it, everything else that's associated with love will bubble forward. And, you know, it will allow me to have the opportunity on a day like today to participate with you in a conversation around creating a new normal. You know, I have the idea, I, I mean, I, I kind of felt like I got to know your dad a little bit in the book, mm. and I have the idea that watching him embrace his really difficult experience kind of erased any excuses. Like, <laughs> he did that. <laughs> you know? yeah. I could probably do this. Yeah, uh, I could probably show I, I may up be today. reading in a little because my, my wife certainly faced her illness and death with a kind of courage that I didn't previously know about mm-hmm. before I watched her do that. And it's, and you know, the love of life too, yes, um, that people can have when they're facing death. You know, you just don't want to waste time anymore. Yeah. Did you find I, that too? Oh, I did. As a matter of fact, it's in, in the forward or somewhere, maybe in the special things. I, I say something like to my father, who at a time where he could have been selfish, placed his focus on me and taught me to love. Mm-hmm. Meaning, that's what, you know, really? I don't, <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to believe that I would be, hey, to my sons and my wife, do me a favor, call Cheryl before I transition and tell her thank you for the time we spent on the phone. Yeah, I'd love, I think there's a part of me, I don't want to talk to nobody, everybody leave me alone and get me a <laughs> You know, yeah, I want except Twinkies. that's not what, not what usually <laughs> happens if you've um, read any Ira Bayok, who yeah. works with end of life. Usually people do want to love and be loved, forgive yep. and be forgiven, you yep. know, get rid of old baggage. I mean, <laughs> so there's something that happens at that moment that I guess just lets you know what's really important. Yeah, I still think it's only at the moment where they surrender. Yeah. Because you could be in resistance until the end. Sure. <laughs> you could. I've, I've, I've experienced that. As have I. As have I. Yeah. And heck, we experience that with people that are still walking the earth and nasty yeah. and cratchety, you know. So, yeah, I still think it all comes down to a surrender. And it's the same thing for those of us in the caregiving position and that are moving through our own transition. You know, we are transitioning with them. And I think survivor's guilt comes into play. But it's guilt. Mm-hmm. We just give it a different title, right? And we add a piece to the title. But it's still guilt. The something I did wrong, something maybe I didn't, you know, for believers, maybe I didn't pray deeply enough. And, <laughs> you know, for those that... Well, there's lots, their... lots of different belief systems and yes. they all have some of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... Yeah. You know... We're getting near the end, and I really don't want to leave without you reading um, one of your early lessons learned. Uh, mm. Would you read that? And then we can finish our conversation when, when you're done with that. Absolutely. One of the, and, and I think that is what still, that sticks with me today, is what is this moment teaching, showing, revealing? And that's just another way of saying, you know, what are the lessons? So some of them are trust my intuition, which I call my God voice, accept 
every thought and feeling, <laughs> which requires that I not only be present, but I don't know, have a feelings vocabulary, so it's not just fine or angry, <laughs> right? Be mindful of my judgments of myself and others. You know, and even reading this now, I can see where my growth is, where I would say be mindful of my loving and fear-based judgment mm -hmm. of myself and others, right? Mm -hmm. Respect everyone's grieving process, including my own. Um, when my father said, keep the faith, he was giving me a mantra. <laughs> um, of course, there's let go of my anger and I got, allow God to live in and through me. That's the lesson, the interpretation of what he said. Uh, and then the last one is, I understand why my father loved to sing it as well with my soul. Simply put, to sing when I'm in pain is a choice. To choose these words connects me to a higher power and frees me from the pain, right? And it's not, you know, in the sense that, oh, I've connected to a higher power so now everything's washed away. It's that there's a shift in my focus. Yes. And there's a shift away from pain into something, not into the higher power, but into the belief and the expectancy that in this moment I can feel happy. Uh, and then in the next, I might feel sullen, sad, disappointed, annoyed, frustrated, bewildered, perplexed, right? It's yes. a choice. It's a moment-by-moment moment choice. So if I could leave anything, Cheryl, I would leave that the principles or the values by which we live our life, you know, freedom, joy, worth, self-love, forgiveness, understanding, they are moment-by-moment moment choices. So when you feel happy in a moment, Resist the temptation to treat it as a blanket that you pull over you at night when you're mm. cold, thinking that it will blanket the entire experience. You're going to need to choose happy or joy or freedom or excitement in the next moment or choose frustration, annoyance, perplexed bewilderment. They're yes. all okay. They're all war. You know, they give us some information about what we're thinking. Um, uh, and there are Robert, that's, that's such a great way to end. That's fantastic. Good. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Thank it was you. such a I pleasure. It. Listeners, please go to www.robertpruitt.com. Learn more about Robert's work. There's so much more than we talked about today. I hope you'll join me next week for an encore airing of Embracing Dynamite, New Life Through the Power of Sound and Spirit with Al Michaela, a victim of a hate crime who found love and forgiveness as her body recovered and now uses her gift of music for healing the world wide. The following week, join me for Kelly Carlisle, a veteran and founder of Acta Nonverba Youth Urban Farm Project, which works with youth, youth for healing and growth through interaction with outdoor spaces. Don't forget to connect with All Things Good Grief by going to my host page at Voice America. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.